0: Believe it or not, 2012 is almost history. By Monday night, it's all over. However, it's not all over quite the way that the Mayan calendar watchers predicted. Yes, 2012 was the year that $4.2 billion was spent re-electing our president. It was this year that we watched the Summer Olympics in London as Usain Bolt became the first man to secure gold in the Olympic 100 and 200 sprint double in consecutive games, both last time and this time. We watched as Michael Phelps added six more medals to his collection of now 22 Olympic medals from three different Olympics. This year, Felix Baumgartner set the record for the highest skydive at 24 miles up, as well as being the first to break the sound barrier, reaching speeds of 834 miles an hour. It was this year that the space shuttle retired, and as the Endeavour squeezed through the streets in LA, we watched, some of us. It was also the year that the Mars rover successfully landed. It's also the year that Neil Armstrong passed away, along with Andy Griffith and Norman Schwarzkopf, among others. It was This past year that a Wisconsin TV anchor fought back against criticism for her weight. 2012 has been the year of the iPhone 5 and the iPad mini. It's the 100-year anniversary of the Titanic sinking, as well as Hurricane Sandy, the largest Atlantic hurricane in diameter on record. It was the year that 28 lost their lives in Newtown, Connecticut. So how has this year been for you and your family? What changes have taken place? What challenges has the Lord brought you through? What blessings have you enjoyed? As we go online and see the news, everybody has their recap of the year. What's your recap? Have you sat down in your devotional time early in the morning and said, this is what has taken place this past year and remembered how good God is? But as we look back, of course, we look forward as well. What will 2013 hold for us? or our nation, our families? What will God do in 2013 in our church, in each of our lives? One year from today, how will things be different for you? You ever find yourself asking those questions, wondering about the unknown? Well, this Sabbath, I want to give cause for thought. As we look forward to this new year, I want to give you five keys to unlocking, if you will, the new year. Five keys that by the grace of God can literally change your physical life, but your spiritual perspective as well. And I believe that if you use these five keys, you will find that your life and spiritual experience will be greatly transformed and enhanced. And if you use these five keys, you will literally make 2013 an exceptional year. Now you may be thinking, why five? I don't know. I suppose I could have found more. I could have distilled it to less. But really, I believe these five are fi- foundational. And you may come up with one or two more beyond this, and that's fine. But I encourage you to jot down these five. Each of the five will have a text that goes along with it. It will be simple to write down, but I would challenge you this week to spend some time going over these five thoughtfully and prayerfully, going over these texts. But at the core of it all, I believe, is the text that Cameron read for us, This morning, our springboard text, really. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That should be at the core, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So practically, how do we do that? Because I want this morning's sermon to be very practical to your daily life. So let's jump in and get started with the first key. Are you ready? Key number one, prayer. How do we deal with the stuff of life? When life comes down on us, there's family problems, financial problems, interpersonal problems, job problems, emotional problems. What do you do with all the stuff of life when it comes crashing on you? How do you deal with it? How do you handle it? How do you respond to it? Studies tell us one of the greatest reasons people get involved in destructive behaviors is because they don't properly deal with the stuff of life. They have insecurities or problems internally. And because they don't know how to deal with these things, they turn to vices. Drugs, alcohol, promiscuity, even just peripheral, unguided watching of television or DVD. Because the pressure has gotten to them, and they don't know how to deal with the stress. So they just put things out of their mind by one of these ways. But key number one is prayer. The text that goes with this key is Ephesians. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and this is part of the whole armor of God. But one that we don't typically bring out. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. I'll be reading from the New King James version. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul encourages us praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, supplication, and supplication for all. The saints. Now, if you look at the original, there's no period. He's going all the way through the armor of God and he continues on with prayer. So I think we could say that prayer is certainly part of the armor. It's a necessity. You may be thinking, well, what's new about prayer? There's nothing new about prayer, but it is if you're not using it. Let me ask you, is prayer central and significant in your life? Do you pray on a regular basis? Do you like to pray? Or do you only pray in church and certain situations? Because if you are only praying in church, you're not experiencing the power of prayer. I don't believe Paul here is talking about an occasional prayer, but a life of prayer where you literally love to talk to God and you really believe your prayers go beyond the ceiling. It's a connection, a cord, between you and heaven. It connects you with the powers of the universe. Prayer is power. Ellen White says it's the air to the life of the Christian. Think about that. It's supposed to revitalize us. Does prayer revitalize you? If you can answer yes to those questions, yes, I do enjoy prayer, yes, I'm involved in prayer, I do pray on a regular basis when I rise up, as I drive to work, when I go to bed at night, then you're doing well with this key. But if you cannot say that, if honestly in your heart you know that you do not have a vibrant prayer life, then that is a key you need for 2013. You've gotta have it. You cannot go further without prayer. Because if I gave you the other things on the list without first dealing with prayer, you wouldn't have the power to implement it. Some of the heavy things I'm going to tell you, you've got to pray. Prayer is so foundational. It's the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. And at the core, prayer is giving permission to allow God to come into your heart and your life and to do what he wants to do with you. He's not going to force his way in He needs your permission, and without that permission, the devil can accuse him of forcing you to follow him. And if we go back here to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, there are seven points that the text outlines for us on how to pray. Let's go through those real quickly. The first, praying always, or your version might say on all occasions. There is a regularity to prayer, not just when you feel like it. When you get up in the morning, you may not feel like it. Do you have those mornings? I do. You may have had problems sleeping. Maybe the kids kept you up. Maybe you had ulcers. Maybe you had nightmares, but you get up and you pray anyway. In fact, the Greek there for always is actually three words, which literally is translated in every season. It's too cold to get out of bed this time of year. Nope. Pray in every season. Season. No matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, no matter the opportunity, use every occasion and season, pray. When you're reading your emails, pause and pray. When you're on the job, say a quick prayer. When you're mad and you're about to lose your temper and you don't feel like praying, you better pray at any time. Even when you don't feel like it, you lift up your heart to God and say, I need you always. That needs to be your personal default. You don't worry first. You don't stress first. You don't lose your temper first. You pray first. So going back to our verse, praying always. Secondly, with all prayer and supplication. Some versions say all kinds of prayers. There's a variety in prayer. Prayer is not a one-way street. It's reciprocal. You read the word and you speak to God and God speaks to you. In fact, this is a wonderful way to pray through the book of Psalms. You can pick virtually any psalm and you read one little tagline and then you pray over that tagline. God is our refuge and strength. God, I want to claim that today. I want you to be my refuge, to be my strength, to be my rock today. Therefore, we will not fear. Lord, I don't want to fear. I can be a fearful person. I can fear for the future. I can fear for the unknown. I can fear for my kids. Lord, help me to not be fearful today. Help me to trust fully in you today, creating me a clean heart. Lord, I'm a sinner. You know the things I've done even just this week. Cleanse me today. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. I cried to you, O Lord, you are my refuge. You could go on about how he's your refuge. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Lord, I'm calling on you today. Pray through the scriptures. There's variety in prayer. Third one we find here in the passage, with supplication, with humility, with earnestness. You may have been praying for something for a year and a half. You still don't know the answer, but that doesn't mean you give up. You keep praying. You keep submitting to his will, knowing this is a test period or a trial, but you don't give up. You persevere with supplication. The next one we find here, in the spirit, pray in the spirit. There is cooperation in prayer, not simply my will. I'm praying because I want God's spirit to work through me, not simply what I want. The next one here says, be alert or watching, not simply praying alone, but you're watching. You're sensitive and in tune with the events around you so you know how to best pray. Mark Finley, for his meetings, used to have a room tucked off to the side where people would pray for the meetings. He says, I don't do that anymore. I tell them to come into my meetings, I want them to pray during the meeting so they know what to pray for. That individual's getting uncomfortable, they're turning red, Lord, be with that person. Lord, the pastor's stumbling, doesn't know what he's saying, Lord, help him. So you're watching, you're sensitive to your surroundings, the real things of life, the ups and downs on the job, the family, the children. Next one, with all perseverance, it says, not haphazard, not sporadic, you're consistent and persistent. Even when you're down and out, you don't feel like praying, when you feel God is not listening, you pray with perseverance. You won't stop like that insistent puppy that is just tugging on your hem of your pants, your cuff. And lastly, Paul reminds us, pray for all the saints, listening, What do I need to pray about here? You come home, you make a list. God will do wonderful things if we just pray. So instead of whining or gossiping or complaining or becoming stressed out, you go first to the default key and that is you. Do I need to preach on it some more? What do you do? Default, pray. The overall point that Paul is making is that prayer takes practice and by God's grace, it can become our default key. How often is it not our last resort? Even in church work, no, it needs to be our default. If we don't pray always, oftentimes we get mad first. Then after we have a problem and realize we've hurt somebody, we say, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I've got to go pray. I forgot that step. Paul says, make it your default. Is that a good key for the new year? Okay, second key. Second key is remember. Turn with me now, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and the second key is, did you get it? Remember. Second key is remember. 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you're writing these down, it's verses 4 to 7. But I think it's important to note here that Paul is writing to Timothy in a crucial time in his life. Timothy is pastoring at the moment, and he is facing the biggest mountains in his experience. Nero has become the emperor of Rome, and because of his tyrannical rule, Believers are becoming persecuted. They're dying for their faith. And Timothy is here, a young pastor, and he is wondering about his ministry. He's looking to the future. And in the midst of this panic, Timothy was tempted to fear for his life and his future. He wondered, is God going to pull me through this terrible hour? You've been there, haven't you? Haven't you been in a situation that has been so difficult and so hard, and all your support is taken away from you, and all was lost? It was dark and gloomy, and you couldn't see past it. Sometimes that's the worst of it. And you look for your friends and nobody was there. You didn't know what to do. But then miraculously, the power of God comes through and you are delivered. And it's beyond you how this even happened. You don't know what changed their mind. You don't know where the money came from. You don't know how things lined up, but it happened. Isn't that what we praise God for in church? Now that is the context of this passage. So Timothy is wondering what is going to happen. And so here Paul is sharing a key with Timothy that if he takes, if you and I take it this morning, it will transform our life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. and He's talking about how he remembers him, how he prays for him often. In verse 4, "...greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, Timothy, that I may be f- filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I persuade..." and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When I call to remembrance, Timothy, you have a faith legacy. You have spirituality in your blood. I want to remind you of something, Timothy. Your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, I'm persuaded that in thee also is this same seed. There's this kernel of something special. And so when you're walking through this dark period of life, what do you do? You hit the rewind button. You ask the Holy Spirit to rewind and replay those memories of how God has blessed you. Some years ago, a really dear family friend of ours passed away. She died at a relatively young age. She had kids that were our age. Died of ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And slowly over time, she lost her ability to speak. So she had to have a pad of paper everywhere to write down what she wanted to say. And there were many nights that they would lay in bed, her and her husband, and she'd flip on the light and she'd pull out her pad of paper and she'd write to her husband, tell me about the better days. And they would sit there and they'd spend good portions of the night talking about ski trips that they had taken, road trips, family memories, all the kids first. Because you see, when you're down and out and there's nowhere to turn and it's all black, when you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, maybe it's time to hit the rewind button and replay a section and think about how God has blessed you. That time you had no money, when you had nowhere to go, but God came through. He did it then, and I believe he'll do it again. That's a key. So every time you're down, don't worry. Don't get worn out. Don't stress out. Don't sin, just hit the rewind button. That's why Sister White suggests we have an Ebenezer book. Remember that stone that was placed there so the people would ask, what's that stone all about? And then they'd have an opportunity to share, right? Well, God has brought us all this way, and I believe he'll keep on blessing us. I haven't been the most faithful with it, but this is my Ebenezer book. It's kind of a cheesy front, but I'm sticking with it because of the things that are inside. I was looking at this morning, wondering when I started all the way back in 98. I was still in college. I have prayer requests here of getting through Greek classes. I mean, you name it, it's all here. I have dollar signs for orchestra, for some trip we were trying to take, for student missions, for all kinds of things that I wanted to do. And I can just flip through here. I tell you, I hate it the, the years that i didn't do it or the time I didn't do it, but it's such a blessing to go back because these aren't just the little things in life for me. These were big things. In fact, I'm looking here at this page, Dave Crest and Frost and Arnold and Farewell and the pilot and the co-pilot that were all lost in Georgia Cumberland, 12-2, 2004. And I can flip over and find other things. And so many times the things that I read, the things that I was stressed about, the things I was wondering how God would lead, I can see either from my own memory or the thanks the next few pages, how the the Lord worked it out. And oftentimes we, we think of the immediate how God worked in this one situation this past week or past month or two few months but this way I can go back over the past several years and I can remember and it blows my mind how God has worked in so many ways again and again and again and again and we read about those stories in the Old Testament and we think oh those children of Israel how could they forget the the Red Sea just parted we too are so quick to forget how God has provided at the last hour for us okay that's key number two Key number one was pray. Key number two is remember. Key number three, oh, watch out. This one deals with bad habits, and I call it lay down and push away. You'll see why in a minute. Because we can have prayer, and we can remember all the ways God has blessed us, but if you have some bad habits, some sin that you that is weighing you down, let me tell you, it will trip you up. It will mess up your spiritual life. It'll be difficult to pray. And some of these sins you may have been dealing with for a long time, and God is challenging you, I believe, this morning. Somebody here, God is challenging you to give it up in 2013. I don't know your soul. Nobody knows but you and God. But in the quiet night... When you're under the covers and you know, you know what your besetting sins are. You know the sins that weigh you down in your Christian experience. You're trying to, play, to pray and those sins come flashing out of the past. And you say, oh my goodness, where did that even come from? It come from your past. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all have sinful natures. I understand that. But when we come to Jesus, He forgives us and revives us and converts us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And He says we need to stop doing the bad and start doing the the good. And so the, the text for this one is found in James. James chapter 1 verse 21. James chapter 1 verse 21. Small book. If you're in the Andrew Study Bible, it's page 1621. And this key I call lay down and push it away. This is crucial because if you do the first two, but you don't have this one, you'll be tripped up in your spiritual experience. There we read in James chapter 1 verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness an overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word there for filthiness is moral defilement, anything that trips you up. Overflow of wickedness, it's like this deep intentional evil. It's that sin that you know is wrong, but you really don't want to get rid of it. Kind of like when you leave church and you go and do whatever you want. So Paul is saying, if you're a human being, I know you're dealing with a lot of that kind of stuff, but I want you to lay it aside and that word there lay aside greek has a connotation that doesn't come through here in the english it's not just putting something down because if i put something down i can pick it right back up again but it has the connotation that i lay it down and push it away james saying don't just lay it down but push it away get it away from you gives the picture of a person that is distancing themselves from something they don't want you remember the thessalonians in thessalonica when they had all those books or the Berean church that had all those books and they were struggling with devil worship and all these things were destroying their faith. And they brought all these books about magic and incantations. And Paul says, Make this huge bonfire. And they burned all the things that were destructive to their spiritual lives. That's just what James is talking about here. Lay it down and push it away. And you may say, Well, that sounds pretty severe. It reminds me of Jesus' own words on the Sermon on the Mount. If your eye causes you to sin, what should we do? Pluck it out. Cut off my hand. That's pretty radical. Now, I don't think Jesus' point is to maim ourselves until we're vegetables and can't do any sinning, because then we wouldn't be able to share the gospel either. We'd just be kind of useless. But what I do think Jesus is talking about is radical amputation, being willing to do something radical in order to remove the sin from your life. I can think of members who have said, you know, we just found TV was not good for us and we just got rid of it altogether. It's gone. We don't do TV. Radical amputation. Is there anybody here watching their weight? Maybe you weren't last week, but you are this week. We all have to. If we're not careful, it'll just sneak right up on us, right? Pants are a little tight. So perhaps you had a little light sampling of the dessert, but you keep it within your exercise. Everything balances out. But then somebody comes along with another huge sampling. Half of a pie, four scoops of ice cream, butternut ice cream, just oozing down the sides of this half of a pie. And they say, come on, enjoy yourself. And you take your spoon and you're ready to dive in and you think, lay it down? and push it away. In fact, if, I, if it were me, I'd, I'd hang on to those first two keys. I'd try doing everything I could. I'd go back and start with key number one. Help me, Jesus, creator of the pecan. Then i go to key number two, that instant rewind. He's done it before me in the past. Last week I overcome. He can do it for me today. And so I say no. I say take that out of my sight. I put it down. And I push it away. Third key. That's what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. If Joseph had fooled around with her, Every day she was grabbing on Joseph and and saying, oh, come here, come here, come here. And she was so sensual and so beautiful, and she just kept tugging at him. Now, Joseph would have said, you know, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to talk to my pastor about you. All right, all right, come here, Miss Potiphar. Let's sit down, let's talk, let's pray together. You better put that thing away. You better put it down and push it away. James is practical. We have to follow through with God. Jesus wants you to cooperate with him. We can't just pray that he will take it away from us. It's a combination of the human and the divine. And if you cooperate with God, he will help you. But we must give him our best. We must cooperate with God. Key number four helps deal with the thing I call spiritual boredom. Key number four, be a doer of the word. That's key number four, doer of the word. And you're already there in James chapter one. This is verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now, you don't have to answer these out loud, but do you ever get tired and bored at church? Same song, same text. I've heard that sermon before. So you're bored, spiritually bored. There's a tip for the new year. If you follow this verse, it will help you deal with the root of your boredom, your lack of contentment and your dissatisfaction. I believe there's one primary reason why people are spiritually bored. Do you know what that is? Knowledge without application eventually becomes boring and unfulfilling. Knowledge without application will lead to boredom and dissonance, and maybe even become mean-spirited. If all you do is sit and listen to the sermon week after week after week without taking steps to apply it to your life, you will soon reach a place where you have heard and heard and heard and heard so much of the Word that you get sick of hearing it again. You've heard all the sermons. You've heard all the doctrines. You've gone through 10 evangelistic meetings, but you're not doing it. You know it, but you're still struggling with the same old sins year after year after year. You listen to the word, but that's all you do. You're not doing anything about it. You are bored. The problem's not the word. The problem is you and me. It's not the Sabbath school teacher, it's not the lame preacher, it's not the imperfect church. You are bored because you're not doing the work. You're not even trying to do it. You hear it, but you don't write anything down, you don't take any notes, you go to sleep in church, you're talking all the time, you're distracted, you're texting, you're thinking about what's for lunch. You're worried about your problems on the job, but you're not listening and applying the Word of God. In fact, you've been around long enough that as soon as you see the verse on the topic, you click off and say, I already know that. That's not new. Give me something fresh, exciting. We want a dynamic speaker that will just knock our socks off. Yeah, he was entertaining, all right, but I don't really remember what he said. What did you apply to your life? How are you a doer of the Word? You know, every week when you walk out of here, you don't have to remember everything that was said. You don't have to reproduce everything. You don't have to have all the scriptures written down somewhere, but you should have at least one thing. What did the Holy Spirit give you today? The Holy Spirit gave me this. Boom. Forget the rest of it. Holy Spirit gave me this. Boom. Too often, we're not doers. We always think the preacher's talking to somebody else. Oh, he needs to hear this sermon. She needs to hear this sermon. In fact, how can I get a copy of that? I want to send it to him. And all the while, God is trying to get the word to you. Every message that is preached, if you have spiritual ears, you can get a blessing from it. It can be the most uneducated, most ill-spoken person. No amens. But if the word is preached, God has something for it. Is it true? We are so good at being conversational about religion, to just know about it, but we don't like to apply it. But if you and I ask God to help us apply the word, I promise you, you will not be bored. You'll constantly be saying, wait up, wait up apply the word last key key number five key number five love one another first corinthians 13 verses one to three for this last key love one another first corinthians 13 paul loved god god's people and god's church and he knew that love was at the heart of the gospel and when we look back in church history we see paul on his missionary journeys brimming over with love for people do you pick up on that and that's what the gospel is all about. Love is the most important thing of all. So we read here in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning verse one. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and claiming symbols. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love. I can do all the keys. I, I can be prayer or encouragement or, or discipline. I can be a doer of the word, but if I don't have love in my heart, Paul says I'm nothing. Love is the greatest of all. Remember they asked Jesus, "Sum up the law and the prophets. Give us the gospel." And Jesus simply said, "Love God and love people." Everything else is good, but if it is if love is absent, I'm simply sounding brass or clanging cymbal. It's useless. Remember God saying in Isaiah, your sacrifices make me sick. Have you read that part? I hate the smell of your sacrifices, God says. Why? Because their heart was not in it. There was no love. Husbands, you can provide for your spouse in every way. You can do and do and do and do. But if your spouse feels that it's a result of duty rather than an overflow of your love, that too is meaningless. Jesus didn't come to this earth merely to check us off of his list of to-dos. But it was his great love, for us that compelled him. I imagine at times he may have felt like a little kid. Can I go, can I go, can I go, can I go? How about now, can I go? In fact, we read in First John chapter four, seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But sadly, he who does not love does not know God for God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave. So key number five, love God and love others. So did you get them all? Key number one, pray. Key number two, remember. Key number three, lay down and push it away. That's good. That one you'll start after lunch today. Key number four, be a doer of the word. And key number five, love God and love people. And I believe if we apply these keys to our lives by God's grace, 2013 will be an exceptional Year. Lord, we humbly bow before you, asking that you forgive us for not taking you serious enough. But by your grace, I pray that you will grow us like never before in 2013, that you will revive our weary souls. May we take our prayer life with you to a new level. In times of trial, may we not forget how you provided for us so many times before. By your grace, may we be able to successfully lay our besetting sins down and push them away. And may we not be merely hearers, but doers of the word. And may all we do be grounded in a sincere love for you that enables us to rightly love one another. Lord, we confess we cannot do any of these things on our own, but by your grace, as we submit and cooperate with your spirit, we can have victory. You long for us to have victory. So be our guide in this upcoming year, we pray, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse